we had to teach them how do we raise pigs and here are our challenges and here here's why counting pigs is difficult and here's why it matters. Um, so those are maybe two higher level um, learnings, but they're really critical to, to the development of the project. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Ivonic. We are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all. Always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Merck Animal Health, used in more than 1 billion pigs worldwide. Circumvent G2 vaccines from Merck Animal Health provide the monumental protection swine herds need in the ever-evolving fight against circovirus. Circumvent PCVG2 and Circumvent PCV-MG2 are evolutions of the original vaccine modified to deliver the same efficacy in a convenient one or two dose option for increased flexibility. That's protection you can trust. Learn more at circumvent-g2.com. Hello everyone. Today we have Dr. Annie Lerner, my good friend from K-State in uh, back at K-State and now with Schwartz Farms. Annie, welcome to the Swine Podcast show. Thanks, Marcio. Glad to be here. Really excited talking to you. And, uh, you know, I guess we can start with a classic question, you know, for, for those that don't know you, if you can just share, you know, your journey so far and, and how you end up where you are. Sure. Well, I'm originally from Overland Park, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Um, so one of the first questions I get a lot of the times is, um, how did you get into pigs? Because it's a very suburban area. And um, so growing up, I, I always loved animals and, and really loved science. And that made K-State a really logical choice, um, as I thought being a veterinarian um, would really fit those interests. And as I got into K-State and in my undergraduate courses, I started learning about um, research in animal science that's not directly related to veterinary medicine. Um, classes like nutrition and repro really um, sparked a questions in me that I wanted to learn more about. So I pursued a couple of internships that ultimately led me back to the swine group at K-State. And um, I knew I was interested in nutrition, but hadn't 
specifically picked what species I would um, I would study, and I did some research with the swine group, um, and really the rest is history. So I, I did a couple undergraduate projects. Um, Dr. Hyatt Frobos was really my first mentor, and and the reason I got interested in pigs, and um, from there on I pursued my master's at K State as well as my PhD, which I just finished in um, 2019 at the end of that year. And so my master's work was primarily around amino acid requirements for nursery pigs. And um, my PhD had a variety of subjects um, from DDG's withdrawal studies to heavyweight pig space allowance to some feed safety and, and then even some technology. So I, I got a really diverse education there with my PhD. And then I started with Schwartz Farms um, almost exactly a year ago in January of 2020. So that's where I'm at. I've been here for a year, um, worked with Dr. McNutt for a year and, and really enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah, and you were working with um, with a very interesting project, right? Um, several months ago, I think, I guess uh, probably a year ago now uh, on the peak counting, right? Technology. What what did you learn there uh, as you start you start writing that grant and uh, yeah, so that was a, a really neat project, especially as a nutritionist, right? Um, so that that year, the Pork Board put out their first ever call looking for technology projects that improved or increased our efficiency of pork production. And so um, we wrote a grant, we being K-State, in, um, in cooperation with JBS. Uh, Dr. Kyle Coble was really instrumental in that piece. And then also Amazon Web Services, which is a division of Amazon um, that really focuses on these types of large data analytic um, or machine learning type of projects. And um, with the collaboration of those three groups, um, us being the researchers and, and JBS obviously having large production system, and AWS and their, their data scientists, um, we set off to develop a camera technology that would count pigs. And um, we really started from scratch. We know that this technology exists in many other industries. Um, for example, when you're in an airport or a shopping mall, there might be cameras that count you as you, as you enter doorways. So the technology exists, but hasn't necessarily been applied to pork production or it hadn't at the time that we submitted that grant. And um, so we took AWS on site into JBS farms and really showed them where the challenges with counting pigs were. Um, and so that project was um, a year and a half long and where we ended it, we have a prototype um, with a given level of accuracy and the remainder of the project will be testing that prototype with other technologies that essentially um, were introduced to the industry during that time that we wrote, submitted, um, and completed our portion of the grant. So with these other solutions now available, we wanna test our prototype against those. And um, really some big learnings that came from that project were not even necessarily related to the specific algorithm or the specific pieces of hardware that we needed to deploy. Um, a lot of it, a lot of, at least for me, the learning came from the types of communication or maybe um, roles we want to have in these type of projects. For example, um, my job as, as kind of the, the coordinator was really to keep the AWS folks in touch with our team and the JBS team. And that, it sounds fairly simple, but the reality is the industries that we work in were so, so separate that we needed somebody almost devoted to essentially, for lack of a better word, translating the needs of the two parties. So when Amazon Web Services would say, what if we change this about the way that we move pigs? 
I would say, well, that's not practical because X, Y, and Z from the pig production standpoint. And when um, from the other side, you know, from JBS's side, well, why can't we use this camera or why can't we use, why can't we just use a cell phone and create an app and simplifying the process? Well, we need to develop algorithms um, and evaluate the accuracy. So there was a lot of back and forth um, and it was um, really critical to have somebody who halfway understood both sides of the puzzle. Um, I'm no technology expert, but I spent a lot of time trying to understand what they do um, in order to make it applicable to counting pigs. And um, the other learning was just really getting that AWS team on site uh, the you know how those um, requests for proposals go for pork board grants. You usually are given a month or so to to develop that proposal, and um, so by the time we had that all together, we couldn't get AWS on site prior to the start of the project. But that was our first order of business. As soon as we got that funding, we brought AWS. Um, employees onto the JBS farms and plants. And um, I think that was really eye-opening. Just we had to teach them how do we raise pigs and here are our challenges and here here's why counting pigs is difficult and here's why it matters. Um, so those are maybe two higher level um, learnings, but they're really critical to, to the development of the project. Super cool, super exciting. Do you know, uh, I know you mentioned to me in the past that you've worked early on the project. Do you know where, where it went or, or not yet? Yeah, um, at, at the point last year, we submitted a, a report to the pork board detailing kind of our summary. And the next piece um, is, is comparing that to the other cameras in different types of commercial environments. We did all of our testing in JBS facilities, and we certainly want to expand that. Um, and uh, like most things, I think there was a, a hiatus on that research due to um, COVID last year. So I know as soon as as soon as um, K State's ready to do that, they'll they'll start testing it compared to other solutions. Super cool. And then the other thing that is you know unique about you is that you know you just finished like you said one year uh, freshly into a production system. It's a large pr production system. Um, you know what's being the what's been the key lessons learned i guess yeah that's a that's a good question um i think and i'll i'll maybe preface this with dr josh flora told me a really good piece of advice that stuck with me um as i've taken this first year is is when you when you observe a process or um any type of procedure or method that you think hmm may or I would do it a different way. Um, Josh told me always ask why it is that way because chances are that there's a reason, maybe it's logistics of implementation on why things are being done currently the way they are. And then a lot of times you might arrive at the same answer had you known those constraints. Um, so that's been one thing um, before, I, before I always rush into a situation and say, oh, let's change it and do it this way. I think it would be easier a lot of times the reasons um, that it would be easier or not possible. So that's that's one thing that I've um, really kept in mind. And um, other other things that I've learned over this year is uh, just how important it is to get out in the barns. Um, I didn't, I wasn't able to do as much of that due to just needing to work from home and us reducing our maybe um, unnecessary visits to farms. 
and and sites, but doing that has really allowed me to get to know the system better. And it, it takes time, right? You have to be away from your computer for for maybe half a day or a whole day or a few days at a time, but it's really important. And it also helps me get to know the people, um, show them that I wanna be a resource for them, um, whether it's nutrition, whether it's management, however I can help. Um, and I haven't been afraid to say, if, if I'm asked a question and I'm not, I don't know the answer. I, I have no problem saying, <laughs> let me do my homework um, and I'll get back to you. And whether that's calling another nutritionist, whether it's um, reviewing some reading materials, um, whether it's a Google search, cause I've never even thought about that question before um, that, that I have no trouble doing, but I, I do want to be a resource for people. So making sure to communicate that to others when I'm out and about. What are your, you know, key aspects of your training uh, during the master's and PhD that helped you have a great uh, uh, start off on on this on this journey? Yes, yeah. As maybe uh, daunting as the role was coming into it a year ago, I still ultimately felt really, really prepared, and that's probably for a few reasons. Um, one being the diversity of my program. Um, I mentioned that I did studies. In, in four to five to six different areas of swine nutrition and management. Um, it was almost to the point that coming up with a title for my thesis was comical because we could hardly connect the dots between some of these trials, but that really prepared me because being a production nutritionist, I truly um, am dealing with new questions every single day. Um, be it vitamins, be it um, amino acids, and then we need to think about logistics in the feed mill, and then we need to think about growth performance. Um, really, just a wide variety of topics has helped me become comfortable with diving into what I need to know for that area that day, coming up with maybe a solution um, or a way to move forward, and then moving on to the next one. So not only focusing on just the amino acid requirements, focusing on the larger picture. And I think my program really helped me to do that. Um, another piece of my training at K-State that has allowed me to be successful is really the people there and the, um, the priority that teamwork is in that program. Uh, the graduate students function as a team. Uh, the, and then in the same note, the faculty is a, is a high functioning team as well. And I, I think that's um, when you when you go to K-State Swine Day and you see all the reports, you really see how the the sum of the parts is really greater than the whole there. Um, can, we can do a lot when we're working together. And, and that to me is really important. And it's um, set me up for a good spot being willing to work as a team with my production team or the exec team or um, people on the South production team here at Schwartz Farms. So true. Yeah. Uh, we are biased, right? Uh, yes, very much. Great people. Great people. Um, if we think uh, for a more, for a nutrition, nutrition technical part, um, in the last, uh, since you left grad school, was there um, some area that you learned a lot um, uh, on the, uh, besides the implementation and other things that are obvious right when you get into a production system but it's still coming back to the more formulation something that was there something you change either change your mind or learned a lot in the last 12 months i think nutritionally the area that i spent a lot of time in was the ddg withdrawal studies um which the the fiber withdrawal is is not a 
new concept, but we're constantly reevaluating that. And with mine, we specifically looked at uh, applying different marketing strategies over the top of, of a withdrawal study. And um, we found that when we did balance for the net energy difference in DDGs, we saw less of a reduction in performance that um, we did when we did not balance for the net energy. Um, and I think it's important, to, and as I've gotten in my role, really understanding the wide variability in DDGs, um, be that in oil content and or quality. I, I get calls often about my feed looks really dark and um, it's probably that the ethanol plants are changing something in their fermentation process, um, which is okay, but we need to understand if that, if that um, ingredient still is the has the nutrient profile that we think it does. So the DDG withdrawal studies are where I spend a lot of time. And I think now as we look at how high feed prices are getting, um, it's really important to understand when those, um, those byproducts can bring you value or when you need to take them out, be that for cost or um, to maintain performance and, and watch things like carcass yield and fat quality. Awesome. Very cool. Um, you've done, like you said, many studies uh, during during grad school. And um, for folks that are not familiar with your work, what what are the the key learnings there? Sure. Uh, so we touched briefly on the DDGs. Uh, another study I did was with heavyweight market pigs. We wanted to understand space allowance and also different marketing strategies for pigs that were raised to an average of three hundred and sixty pounds, and um, we saw a lot of the anticipated responses in how marketing from a group of pens will um, result in compensatory gain for the pigs that stay behind. Those slower growing pigs can begin to catch up and that the more space we allow those pigs, the better they perform. But what was a um, unique finding in that experiment was as we modeled the growth of, of pigs raised to almost 400 pounds, um, we saw that they really continued to grow very well and very efficiently, almost up to 340 pounds, which is much later than at least we anticipated. Um, you know, we market pigs at 280 pounds right now, 290 pounds in the United States. And um, we think that there's maybe more lean potential on the table should demand um, or packer capacity ever call for it. So that was interesting on the heavyweight pigs. Um, I also did some feed safety work, um, looking at really a one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one blend of C6, 8, and C10 to mitigate PED and feed, which was founded a lot on Dr. Roger Cochran and Dr. Cassie Jones's work. Um, and we still found that that's a really um, promising blend to mitigate PED and feed. But what we got to learn in my experiments was that C6 and C8 are probably um, the bigger drivers in that combination of, of three um, medium chain fatty acids that are contributing to that antiviral activity. That should cover um, most of the experiments. <laughs> yeah, you, you, well, you've done a lot of amino acids as well, right? Any, yes. Anything yep. there? I think, let's see, now I have to think back. We did lysine. Um, you know, as, as you know, with lysine, you always have to do that experiment before you dig into the valine and the isoleucine. Um, valine was maybe a little bit higher than the NRC said, but we kind of shifted our, our mindset from defining a specific requirement to really defining different breakpoints depending on the response that you're looking at, whether it be average daily gain or feed efficiency, right? Um, and isoleucine was an interesting response 
one. We actually repeated that one a couple of times, but it, it looks like when you're, when you don't have blood products, um, you could be at about that 52% level. If, if you were to have blood products, it needs to be a little bit higher. Very cool. And then you did one of them were the, um, where you have different amino acid ratios, right? The industry levels. That one was super interesting. If you want to yep. share. Yep. That one, let's see that we did um, two different lysine levels and then a variety of amino acid ratios really increasing um, as we went along. And that one we found when lysine was um, limiting that those amino acid ratios became even more important. Right. Super, super cool. Yeah. Uh, really practical. Right. Yeah. If you're mm-hmm. running your lysine a little um, lower, then uh, the ratios are more important. Yep. Very nice. And then you guys have been doing very cool, um, cool, innovative things uh, at, at, at your system um, on the fairing house adaptations. If you can share a little bit of that and, and the impact on, on pre-win immortality. Sure. Um, yeah. So if anybody attended Layman conference this year, Mark Schwartz, who's our director of production, um, shared kind of this novel approach that we've been implementing in a few farms in the farrowing house. And what that technique is called is a multi-suckle common creep. So you might see it labeled as MSCC. Um, and what Mark did is after um, a sow farrows and piglets have received claustrum, we start pulling not only the side dividers, but also the front dividers that would connect that crate to the alleyway in front of those sows. And we can connect up to 12 to 24 sows at a time. And um, we level out the floor so that the piglet can walk right out of that crate, really across across the aisle to any other crate. And um, these piglets will nurse off of multiple sows all day long. And we move the heat lamps and the creep feeders to that middle alley, which in turn draws pigs away from mom um, for a warm resting area. And this uh, solution really came out of Mark's frustration in seeing laid on pigs all the way through the suckling period. So a lot of times we think of maybe think of Leon's as a low viability pig who's trying to nurse and get warm. And maybe that only happens in the first few days. But I think if we dig into the data, we understand that laid on pigs really can occur all the way um, through through farrowing. And um, that's because these crates were designed for sows that had litters, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, which were three, four, five piglets less. And so Mark's idea was to allow more space for those piglets um, and also allow them to find uh, their source of nutrition, essentially nurse on on any sow. And we have seen a a fairly significant reduction in pre-weaning mortality. Mark is um, working on his thesis at the University of Minnesota right now. So he's about halfway through an official study for that, but field data or just data from our sow farm would show a reduction in um, pre-weaning mortality anywhere, I'd say from maybe five to 8%. Again, still preliminary data, but um, we're excited about what we're seeing. And we also think that those pigs might be starting better in the nursery. Um, One, they're eating a lot of creep feed. I actually had to bring in creep feed on that sow farm in bulk 
um, rather than bagged feed because they're going through so much um, creep feed. And we think maybe that socialization that happens when they're running with 24 other litters will help them acclimate better to the nursery. So the thought is kind of expose them to some of those stressors like um, other pigs from other litters or maybe other disease like strep um, before they leave mom so that they can start better in the nursery. So we're pretty excited about that. Give a lot of credit to Mark um, and I'd encourage people to watch his talk and look for more data here in the coming months. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, innovation there. Uh, radical innovation right now. Sometimes mm -hmm. we have incremental innovation. We improve 1%, you know, food efficiency yeah. gets better 1% every year, which is great. But radical innovation is amazing. I mean, you said, you know, 5 to 8%. And that's percentage points, meaning it's really like, right, 30 yeah. to 50% uh, reduction maybe in mortality, right. which is amazing. Yes. Right. And, and especially in farms where, where there is an opportunity on pre-weaning, right? If you're at a farm who's already at maybe eight to 12% less room for improvement, but, you know, as an industry, we're up 15, 16, 17, 18%, um, and there would be a lot of opportunity. And then that's what we're finding and hoping to, to capture some of that. Super cool. And just going back, uh, you know, to your journey throughout your career, um, you know, any advice for students or, or folks interested in pig production but have no experience in the field? Sure. Yeah, I, I resonate with that question quite a bit um, because that, that was me eight years ago. And um, one of the roles I took on while I was a graduate student at K-State was working with undergraduates, um, be it that they wanted to do research or just help us weigh pigs and collect research data at the farm. And many of them, especially more than ever, are coming from non farm, non-pig backgrounds. And um, I'm pretty passionate about telling people how much opportunity there is in the swine industry um, and introducing students who do have that interest um, to potential opportunities. And um, my, what I always tell students is that the, the background or experience you have, that really um, we can, we can teach anybody anything about pigs, right? It's being willing to work hard um, and being willing to ask questions that's gonna, that's gonna enable you to succeed. And so I get excited um, when I talk to young people who are interested in the swine industry, but um, don't have that experience. And I'm here to say that, that um, you can make it and you can find a career that you're really excited about. It just will take um, extra questions. And maybe sometimes we bring a different viewpoint that people who have grown up or been in barns all their life maybe don't see. Um, and just being open to learning will um, will set you up for success. No doubt. I love it. Super cool. Dr. Lerner, anything else on, on the topics that we covered before we go to the three questions that we ask every guest? I don't think so. That's it. It is time to our famous three. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition, our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions such as essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health and nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www. Dot .com. 
For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So what's your uh, favorite uh, swine-related book? Yeah, this is a tough one, Marcio, because I, I listen to the podcast um, regularly and everybody's hit on a lot of good swine books. Um, one resource that I don't know if anybody has mentioned is the updated KSU Nutrition Guide. Um, I use that one a lot. It's just it's really um, straightforward and simplified. I know Hayden Williams and Mariana Benegat, they put a lot of work into that. And it's a really quick and easy resource to navigate um, and find kind of exactly what you're looking for. And then it also provides references so you can dig in from there. So that's one um, that I really like. It's on my homepage. Super cool. Yeah, it's super updated and, and very well balanced. Yep. Super cool. And then uh, outside of livestock or agriculture, what's your favorite uh, book or resource? Yeah, one that I've um, recently been working on is The Goal um, by Eliyahu Goldratt. Um, Dr. Denny McKilligan actually gave me this book. It's it's written as a novel, but it's about uh, management and improving your system's efficiencies and really understanding your constraints um, and not just driving for um, to be the most productive, understanding how you can improve efficiency and being a continual improving system. So that one, um, it's, it's really easy to read since it's written as a novel. So thanks to Denny for that. Yeah, I wonder if, is that the same one that Dr. Charles Stark recommend always or no? Because it's, it talks about like constraint theory and those things. It very well could have been, yep. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Haven't read it yet. The last one, Annie, is, um, in your opinion, what, what do you think uh, sets apart successful swine professionals from those that are not? Sure. Well, um, obviously, I'm very early in my career, but the, the mentors and peers that I look up to that I consider to be successful um, are, are hardworking, first of all, foremost, and um, secondly, continually asking questions and learning um, those who are calling others or networking at conferences and asking about the latest and the greatest um, as soon as they hear something new. To me, that um, really drives people forward. And then also those professionals that seek out collaboration. Um, like we talked about teamwork being so important in this industry. I think that it's really unique when several experts of, of maybe different areas of expertise get together and, and pursue a project um, just like the Amazon counting project. So the those that collaborate, I find to be really successful. Yes, and, and that's that's really how we got into some of those uh, radical innovations that we were talking about, you know, different people yeah. look at things uh, differently. Right. Awesome, man. It's been a joy uh, catching up with you, seeing, uh, you know, the great uh, first year there at the schwartz farms and, and and really having an impact there thanks so much for insights here today well thanks marcio for having me i appreciate it imagine if with a few key concepts you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven week long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcio Gonçalves, and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. 
Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.